Welcome to Classic 4x4, the podcast for classic four-wheel drive enthusiasts and restorers. I'm your host, Chris Piccone, and uh, you can follow the Classic 4x4 podcast on Instagram at Classic4x4podcast, and you can follow my trials and tribulations of restoring, collecting, owning, acquiring classic four-wheel drives at Overland by the Sea. Today we have a very interesting guest, uh, a gentleman that was that was referred to me by some common friends that was like, hey man, he's doing some cool stuff, you gotta talk to him. And uh, he not only is a classic car enthusiast, collector, and restorer that, uh, you know, to make room passes him on down the line, but most importantly, uh, one of the cores of his business and his day-to-day is dry ice restoration, and dry ice restoration is one of those things that I don't know a lot about, I don't know a lot of people that are talking about it, but the process is absolutely amazing, and everybody needs to know about it. So uh, without further ado, I want to introduce uh, Jared Friends from Merritt Motors Company. Uh, You need to follow him on Instagram at jfriends friends 12 uh, also check out his youtube channel subscribe to it at merit motor co uh, and check out his website meritmotorsco.com jared thanks for joining us today greatly appreciated hey chris man thanks for having me on yeah uh, so the first thing that uh i always enjoy you know when i bring somebody on the podcast uh that i really like all of our listeners to get to know who we're talking to on the other end. Uh, and so tell me about yourself, you know, where did, where did you grow up? Where do you live? Uh, you know, and how did you get into, uh, collecting, restoring classic four wheel drives? Yeah. So I originally grew up in very rural Pennsylvania, right on the border of Pennsylvania, upstate New York, very small town. Um, my father was a general contractor and, I would ride around with him as a kid and I've just always been an absolute, I've probably obsessed is the is most accurate term. I've just been obsessed with vehicles um, since I, since I was a child. Um, we would ride around going from jobs and I would harass my father to stop at these different places. I would see a Camaro sitting in a hedgerow or I would see an old Ford truck sitting behind somebody's barn and I would just, obsess uh, about some of these vehicles. And um, I, I think it's just, it's part of me as part of my DNA. Um, and that never left me through, you know, high school, the first vehicle. Um, I worked construction with my father and uh, threw hay bales to save up and bought a 65 two wheel drive C10 um, is what I drove to high school and was at the time, you know, we're talking the 90s, and it was bright yellow with orange flames on it. Uh, it was cool <laughs> at the time, and everyone called it the duck truck because it looked like a rubber ducky, you know. Um, hindsight, I guess. Uh, Should have probably reconsidered it. But at the time, that was cool, right? Um, so uh, then in undergrad, um, I this was around mini truck time. Really got into some mini truck stuff, was in, you know, different car clubs, had a 95 or 96 Ford Ranger. Uh, we did a full bag kit on it, um, was one of the um, earlier for the Thornbeck brothers, Jason Thornbeck. Um, I believe they're still in business. We did a cantilever four link um, airbag kit on this Ford Ranger. Uh, 18s and 19s at the time, which were, you know, whoa, huge. And uh, one Carlisle, 
um, Pennsylvania mini truck nationals, not the, the main thing, but uh, it's a little division there. Drove that through college. Um, everybody, you know, throughout undergrad knew me as the, the car guy, um, <laughs> you know, found different friends to store in their basement during the winter time. I went to undergrad in the snow belt, Erie, Pennsylvania. So it's dismal weather for a large majority of the time. And uh, so after undergrad, moved to Charlotte um, immediately almost and uh, have been in healthcare for years and years and have just always maintained my obsession with vehicles. I've had and built a lot of vehicles. I've, you know, traveled in vehicles um, in people's barns and their garages. I will take a different route to wherever I'm going um, all the time. I try to never take the same route because you never know what's behind someone's garage and you never know when that door is going to be open. Um, you know, and uh, I think that's the part that I've loved about cars as much as it's not always the car. It's the story that's behind the car. Uh, the person that you get to know, the story that they pass on about maybe it was their fathers and what they did. And they remember growing up and taking this vehicle to church or to prom or whatever it may be. And that's what I really enjoy the most about these vehicles. It's the connection, the bond that we all share. And, um, you know, that's just kind of void uh, without that common connection of, of, of vintage vehicles. So uh, over the years, that's manifested, obviously, and I was looking for more ways to become financially independent, um, would build more vehicles, sell more vehicles, um, find ways of just improving things, um, found out that I have a very distinct way that I like the vehicles done um, so that uh, has led me to my current common practice, which is I buy vehicles that I like. I personally build them the way that I feel uh, is best representative of that vehicle and then find somebody else that shares that sentiment um, that is looking for something that's done mechanically stable, ready to go and, and has a badass look. Um, you know, I guess I wouldn't be any good at what I do if I didn't think that they are all really, really cool. When they leave here, so. <laughs> Super cool, man. <laughs> yeah. That's that's awesome. It's uh, I'm the same way, man. I, I buy them, I build them the way that I just think they should be. Um, you know, I, I like the class. I like to keep them as classic as possible, and then just move them on down the line, man. You know, if if I had a hundred fifty thousand square foot warehouse, right, I'd just fill it, and never move them on down the line. Yeah, dude. You know? you can, no, you, you, no, it doesn't matter, Chris. You do the same thing. Like space is relative. You know, like yep. you just. You would, you know, have a plane shoved in there somewhere or something. You know, it's just, oh. it's what we do. It's, it's, it's in our DNA, right? We're, we're always going to continue. If I had unlimited space, I would never move them on down the line, man. But hey, I don't. I, I you know, I, I live in coastal New Jersey, uh, yeah. in, a, in a beach town where you know our lots are smaller. You know, I do have an offsite uh, garage where I have a couple thousand square feet, but like you can only fit so much in there. And uh, and I'll tell you uh, if, but if I lived somewhere more rural where space was at a premium and, and relative dirt was cheap, man, I just I do. Buy them, buy them, buy them, make them all my own and just keep them forever and ever and ever. But that's not the reality. Uh, well, you know, so I think there's something really I think that there's something really magical about not sitting on everything. Right. Because so many how many times have you heard the story where someone's like, I'm going to fix it up one day. And even though guys like you and I aren't those guys that say we're going to fix it up one day that we're actually call to action individuals. Right. You actually do bring them to fruition. Um 
you know, these things are meant to be enjoyed. The story needs to be passed on. It needs to be to the next person. You never know the next kid growing up that's going to be Chris or Jared, right? And and their dad or mom or whomever, cousin, whomever has this vintage vehicle that buys it from you, you don't know how it's going to affect the next generation. So there's something really magical in not keeping everything because you're, you're, you're continuing to keep the spirit of something and you're passing it along to individuals that may not otherwise have that exposure, that experience. And, and so I'm a huge proponent um, of, you know, as much as I would love to keep everything of, you know, getting, getting them out there and, and, and allowing other people to see if this passion, this hobby is, is for them and, you know, or the ones around them. And, and I'll tell you, and, and just letting other people enjoy them. But, you know, you talk about call to action and actually like executing. And there's so many guys out there like, oh, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm the exact opposite where, you know, I say I'm going to do it. Right. And I'm OCD. I have, you know, my sublet vendors that I work with. And when I do my restorations, I, I, I not very, not, you know, I don't want to say I'm not mechanically inclined, but I don't do any of the mechanical work, the body work, the, I have a, a great group of artisans that are my sublet mm-hmm. vendors. I'm, I work as like the general contractor and man, I, you go through a lot of these guys because there's not a lot of guys out there that, you know, Hey, like body guys, they'll say, Hey, I can, Oh yeah, I'll have this done. I'll turn this around. Right. Right. And all of a sudden, like, you know, you're calling him and you're like, Hey, so where are you at? He's like, Oh, well, you know, and then three months later, the thing's you're still next. sitting. You're yeah. Next. The thing's still sitting in his yard right. where you parked it three months right. prior. Right. When he right. said he's going to get it done in 60 days, I won't work with those people. Cause I'm a little too OCD and man, I'll turn like when I get a car and it's raw and, or, or a truck and it's raw and I want to restore it, like I want to get it done so I can drive it, right? Yeah. I can drive it done. Then I'll turn some of these things around in, in three, four, five months pretty quickly, full restos, right? right. Um, but it's all about the people you work with. Uh, yeah. And, and I've, it, I've through years of working with different, um, you know, sublet vendors, mechanics, body guys, upholstery guys, they come and they go. And now I'm in a place where I have some really great, uh, some really great relationships, um, with some really amazing artisans and tradesmen that, that understand me, understand my expectations. And, and it's always mutual respect. One of the questions I ask everybody is what's your first car? Uh, but you already told us like, I mean, that 65 two wheel drive C10 is like a, the rubber duck. That was the rubber ducky, right? The one yeah, you the yeah. Back. I mean, that's yeah, super cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have a picture of me at uh, like junior prom. I, I actually wrecked it my um, maybe my senior year. The vehicle probably saved my life. Yeah, at the same time, um, did a decent amount of damage. Um, I, I I hit a uh, there was a guy in a black Oldsmobile Bravada, which is like an SUV. He parked in the middle of the road and turned his lights off. A state trooper had actually caused an accident earlier. This gentleman came home. One of the disabled vehicles was in his driveway. So he just jumps out of this black Oldsmobile Bravada and goes and starts bickering with the state trooper. State trooper had no flares out. He didn't have his lights on. I think he was just trying to clean it up quickly. And uh, I came up the road, novice driver, you know, poor headlights. Uh, My dad and I put Pontiac Fiero seats in it, which at the time I thought was the most bitching thing you could have ever (laughs) done. Like, I got speakers in my head, Raz. What do you know about that, right? And, um, and I came up the road and, uh, I was looking at the state trooper. Um, it was a three speed, you know, down on the floor. And, um, I didn't even see the car until last, last moment. And I slammed on the brakes and the thing nosed over and the, 
truck Bravada went down, came Bravada up. came up and just wadded everything. Drive shaft fell out on the floor. Smet, I hit the steering wheel so hard um, with my jaw. I had braces at the time that it bent the steering wheel right over and dented the dash. Wow. Um, and uh, it was, it was wild, but, uh, I've, you know, I had a C10, bef- certainly before the, the bro nation caught on to the C10s, um, you know, and, um, I've just, I've always, I've always had a, a 60 to 66. Um, they're just, they, they will forever hold a soft spot in my heart. That's super cool, man. Uh, and I'm glad you're here to to tell us that story. That's the most important thing. Um, so let's talk about your collection. What do you have? Uh, and I, I use this term, you know, loosely in inventory right now, right? You know, because I call it like my inventory. It's just what I got in my garage. Uh, um, you know, talk to me. And, and one of the other reasons I always wanted to talk to you was you are a Chevy Ford guy. And we don't get the opportunity to talk to a lot of Chevy Ford guys, you know, Jeep guys, Rover guys, Harvester guys. Dodge guys, um, but not a lot of Chevy Ford guys. Uh, so tell me what you got, uh, where it came from, and uh, what you've done to it um, at, at the moment in your collection. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny that you say Chevy Ford guys, right? Because um, the jury's still out if uh, we're sane or logical people, right? No one, <laughs> no one really understands us. Um, you know, everyone's like, you know, it's got to be a Ford, or you know, and you always see the guy on Instagram commenting that, you know something's not reliable because he's on one side of the fence or the other, you know, but for me, um, man, I just, I, I love it all. Um, I, I I can appreciate all of them. I I like understanding the mechanics of them, um, how they were designed and engineered differently. Um, I've done everything from scouts, you know, vintage scouts to Jeeps, uh, to, you know, Suburbans, this K10, uh, 65 Suburban behind me, um, for instance, is one that uh, came from originally Montana. It's a 1965 factory four-wheel drive, um, K10 Suburban uh, deluxe model. And what that meant in 65 was you had four window sliders, uh, on two on each side, and some additional trim, and most of them were V8. So this one's a 283, four-speed, two-barrel with a Braden PTO winch on the front that is driven off of the transmission. Everything works as designed. Um, it's impeccable condition. Um, originally was a school bus as most vintage four wheel drives in the early sixties were mostly purpose built type of vehicles, right? Um, military forestry, some type of, of service, um, because a lot of people just weren't doing, you know, four wheel drives back back in the day. I mean, really four wheel drives have just recently started to become in, you know, under, you know, the popularity of, of, of the masses. So, um, you know, I adore this thing. I drive it a lot. Um, I barrel it down the highway at 75 miles an hour, um, original suspension, everything's AC Delco on it. Um, there's, there's no real vintage or aftermarket parts used on it other than the Petronix ignition and the uh, all steel rubber window seals. Other than that, it's all GM. Um, so from there, we just finished building a really cool uh, truck. It's a 1969. It was built on February uh, the 8th of 1969. So pretty early in the 69 model year. It's an F100 uh, factory four-wheel drive. I prefer, you know, there's so many people, Ford fanatics out there, um, you know, don't don't throw rotten tomatoes at me, but I, I understand you guys love high boys. I dig them as well. 
But man, you just cannot beat the drivability of a factory F100 um, four wheel drive suspension. It's just, it's, it's so pleasant to drive. The gearing ratio is usually a little bit better. Um, so if you're looking for a driver, um, little plug, I prefer the F100s uh, factory four wheel drive. And they're a little bit more rare as well. So, mm-hmm. but again, rare doesn't always mean that it's more valuable. But that's a uh, 69 as stated four wheel drive. We've rebuilt everything from the ground up. Um, it's done in a very traditional sense, meaning that the truck looks and breathes like it. It's actually much better um, than it probably even rolled out the showroom floor. So it's the factory 360, two barrel, um, four speed. Everything's been completely gone through. In fact, we, um, and I'm sure we'll touch on it in a second, dry ice the entire truck to really just kind of showcase what uh, what dry ice is capable of, right? Because traditionally speaking, people will get a vehicle like that. They'll tear the cab and everything off. And they'll do, you know, sandblast and all of that, um, you know, and uh, again, we'll, we'll get into some of the, the positives and negatives of, of that service in a second. But um, back to the vehicle, we, you know, dry iced it, um, painted the chassis, all new brake lines, all new brakes, all four corners converted to power brakes, um, still drum brakes, um, super lug tires, has factory five lug 16 inch wheels, which are really cool, pretty hard to find. Uh, we added cab lights. It's Skyview blue, Wimbledon white. The truck's just badass, man. Like you just see it and you're like, okay, all right. <laughs> um, you know, I've had, uh, in fact, Tom Cotter um, does a TV show uh, for Haggerty Insurance. We dry ice clean Tom Cotter's 1972 Pantera, uh, which is a video series that's going to be coming out soon. And Tom has amazing, amazing vehicles. Like the man's he's the real deal. And Tom saw it and he was like, wow, I love that thing, you know? And it's just, it's just funny the the way the market gets caught up, you know, um, a few years ago, people would have been like, okay, that's a cool old truck, you know, but now people see it. And I mean, it's done very, very well. And the seat's been recovered, you know? Um, I mean, we did, you know, dynamatting, it's retro sound, Bluetooth, uh, vintage air conditioning, um, all new window glass, steel rubber. Um, everything's it's, it's the nicest of the nice, without not looking like it, it, it's still, you know, period correct. Um, and it's just, it, it's super rad. Um, of course I'm geek out a lot, little bit about it cause you know, I, I built it. I love it. It's funny you bring up period correct. Cause that's my thing too, is I like to keep everything period correct. And, and, and with a certain a little spin, right. A little yeah. Bit, you gotta a little put a little wide. spin, especially on the technology side, like, you know, stuff like audio, Bluetooth audio, you talk about retro sound. Um, I'm not the biggest retro sound fan. Uh, uh, you know, yeah. they're okay, but like, I'll tell you, I, I I'll, I'll, I'll cut out a single din and a dash, uh, just to get, you know, a nice Marine radio. I, I do a lot of Marine, um, when, with my restorations, uh, especially on the upholstery and the electronic side, they just last, man. They just, especially yeah. in these classic cars, which, you know, they're, they're, they were never built completely watertight. Right. No, no, right. <laughs> and, and the Marine and anything I can install that's Marine, I will just, I will do it. It just lasts. And it, it, the yeah. longevity of anything mm-hmm. that is a Marine product, whether it's an electronic component, you know, upholstery, uh, I, and the marine vinyls these days are are to a level that is amazing, absolutely amazing. Yeah, materials have come a long way. But on the same thing, I always love keeping it period correct. You know, keeping it as original as possible, but with like some of the newer updated textiles, electronics. You know, some of the comfort items. You know, yeah. Uh, 
That's that's awesome. So uh, before we get into the dry ice, because I'm super excited to talk about that. Uh, It's something I am not familiar with. I've been oogling at it for a while, uh, but I'm not familiar with it. Um, You know, I always like to ask people, you know, what was the one, you know, uh, what's the best way? The one classic four-wheel drive that you brought into your collection, you restored it, you poured your heart and soul into it, and then you passed it on down the line to, to the next uh, curator, caretaker, whatever you want to talk, that you regret getting rid of. Yeah. Um, so it's a recent um, situation. And um, man, I think, about, I think about this every day, uh, to be honest. Um, so it was a I had a 1970 uh, big block Chevelle 396 car survivor. And, uh, you know, I would just drive around places and uh, I had noticed a, a, a pretty rad. Um, went to try to buy it, had a stack of cash in the back of the trunk. Um, turns out it was a 67 427 Cortez Silver um, Corvette. Uh, four-speed killer car, right? Um, Kelsey Hayes knockoffs, just awesome car. The guy had had it for ever. He wasn't the original owner, but he'd had it for a long, long time. Had some uh, health issues, and man, I, Chris, dude, I, I had the cash in the trunk of my Chevelle, and I like looked at the guy dead, dead in the eyes, and he just like he knew he was never going to drive the car, but he just couldn't. He it, the time wasn't right, and like in my heart of hearts, I just. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. And like, I looking back on it, I, I know that if I would have just given him the cash, I would have had the car. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, what a bucket list car. Um, and I, I just, I just, I, I balked, I wavered. And I was like, man, call me when the time is right, because I'm just not like, if I ever sell the car, I need to be able to sleep at night, not thinking that I ripped it from your clutches. You weren't ready. And you know, and now I'm going to upfit it and, you know, turn it around. Like I just, I I couldn't do that. So, um, I go home, I'm licking my wounds and I find, uh, on Facebook marketplace, uh, I'm a suburban dude. Um, Mm -hmm. I have a 61, I've got the 65, I've had a lot of them. Um, and I find a 1970 K10 suburban, um, about three hours South of me just popped up on marketplace. Um, absolutely loved it at first sight but absolutely hated it. Somebody had painted it hugger orange, which I detest um, with every ounce of my being. And um, I sent it to my wife and I was like, I'm going to go buy this. And she was like, I thought you were buying a Corvette today. And I was like, yeah, that's not going to work out. Yeah. And I, you know, honestly was more jazzed about that 70 K10 Suburban than I was, you know, 67, 427, four speed Corvette. People are going to think I'm nuts, but, um, which I probably am. But, um, so I hook up my truck trailer, grab a bunch of cash out of the, the, you know, safe and, uh, head down there and look at it. And it, it definitely wasn't free of issue, but, um, loved it. Barely even ran to get it on the trailer. Like it was just, it needed a lot. Um, hauled it back within a month. It was repainted back to the dark gold poly, um, put everything, put some, uh, KM three BF Goodrich KM three, um, 33, on it. Um, I feel everything needs tall, narrow, um, skinny tires. And, uh, man, my daughter was, you know, just born and I would put her car seat in it 
and we would drive around until she would fall asleep. We picked Christmas trees up. We went pumpkin patch. I went fly fishing. I just took it everywhere. I did Holly EFI on it. Um, it was a factory air conditioning tilt, um, bucket seat. Uh, I just, it was just a love affair that was completely unexpected. I didn't think that I would like it as much as I did. Um, and, uh, my daughter loved it. My kids, you know, they would just, they would run around, throw the dogs in it. And about a year ago, I, a gentleman drove up from Georgia and I don't even want to know where he lives or I, I deleted his number and everything from my phone. Because, <laughs> like, dude, get away from me. Stay away from me. Don't care. I do know that he was a dealer. Um, and he had made some remarks on what he was going to do to it, to upfit it. And I, it wasn't me, but I, you know, he was here looking at, a different vehicle and he saw that suburban and he was like, what's your, I don't want to sell it price. And I told him, and he offered me something slightly less. And I was like, dude, it's, it's not going to happen. Um, and he walked back to the truck and he handed me an envelope that couldn't even zip. Like it was a big bank deposit envelope and it couldn't even zip up. And, uh, I had to watch him load it on the trailer my daughter looks out the window and says, daddy, where are they taking our suburban? And like, dude, I just, I started crying. You know, my wife was crying. I was crying. Um, guy who worked for me, like had these eyes, like, I don't know what's going on here. Yeah. Like I gave the guy the title and I was shaking, you know, like it wasn't really, it wasn't even for sale. And, um, I've missed it with every ounce of my being ever since. And, uh, not that vehicles should ever have any other type of, sentiment other than you know a material possession because at the end of the day nothing material based defines you um who you are as a person defines you um but that truck was me it wasn't it wasn't perfect at times um you know it was a bit brash and uh but it was reliable you knew exactly what you were getting um and it was just it was extremely special in its own way and, and unfortunately i didn't realize it until it was gone and, and i let I let money, um, be the ultimate indicator on, you know, keeping something. And, and every day, I wouldn't say every day, but to this day, my, my daughter will say, well, daddy, they, they, where did they take your suburban? Where did they take our suburban? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and I take them in, in the 65, you know, load up the car seats and stuff, but, um, it's just not the same. It'll, so be, me, it'll never be the same. One, no, man, man. Yeah. It, it never will. And, and, you know, unfortunately, like I could never buy it back for what I sold it to him for. Right. Which is why you, which is why I sold it to begin yep. with. Um, but man, like I just, uh, hard lesson learned. So ones that I love, you know, I vowed to, you know, I vowed to not let that happen. Um, but it will take another, it will take something that's super special, um, in the future. And it doesn't mean it has to be the nicest. Um, but, uh, you know, something that you can enjoy that is mechanic. I would have put my family in it and driven cross country. Um, we all was, have that one, man. Yeah, I, gotta tell you, man. I have the first classic I ever, ever acquired was a 1981. And this is classic car, classic four wheel drive, no matter what. It was a 1981 base CJ7 Omaha Orange. Ooh. And I have vowed, I have had people, you know, I've come across people that literally on the spot have been like, I will offer you this. Um, I know it's way more than it's worth. It's just so cool. It's so clean. It's immaculate. Like you said, I, I'll put anybody in it and drive across country. It's that reliable. Right. You know, it's got the 250 
eight in line six. Yep. It's getting a Dana 300. Uh, I'm embarrassed to say it has an SR4 transmission. That was only 80, 80 and 81. But, hey, we're going to do a T176 swap in it. So there I'll take go. care of that problem. But, you know, this thing is just – it's immaculate. It is so clean. And I will tell you I've been offered like – dumb 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 money for it with from serious buyers not just somebody who comes up and is like oh i'm going to buy a car right because right. you Verified. always get that guy they're like oh it's a jeep like i can get it for five grand right no 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 you're right everything's you can get jeeps for cheap i don't know why especially you couldn't get them five years ago ten years ago for cheap now they're a whole different ball game oh, man yeah. i gotta tell you i vowed um and bit my lip a couple times and, and almost said yes a couple times. And every time I, I said no, I walked away was, you know, happy, you know, and, and, yeah. I, and that's that, that I call that, I call that, that particular vehicle that's in my collection, the 81 CJ7 Omaha Orange, my wife, uh, because I love it forever uh, and it will be with me forever, you know. But, but like yeah. you said, it's all about the passion that drives us, mm-hmm. you know. When, when you put the money ahead of it, and you make mistakes, right? And I know you'll never make that mistake ever again. It, 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 it's yeah. the passion that drives us all. Well, you know, it was tricky. I mean, so I've invested quite a bit in the business. Um, you know, I have house renovations, young kids, um, you know, like kids, man, they're little Petri dishes. They get sick and you've got <laughs> doctor's bills, um, yeah. you know, my dogs are aging. So there's always something to spend a ton of money on. And it doesn't matter how much money you make, like you're going to, you're going to spend that much money in your extracurricular, you know, and, and it, it caught me at a time where, you know, I, I went out and honestly, I, I spent the money on landscaping. I bought, you know, that sounds crazy, but like landscaping rocks around, you know, my, my business around my, around my house, I bought a tractor, you know, but I, they're all things that like, you know, they're all things that improve, you know, the, my, uh, situation. Right. And there's still things that I enjoy. Like I, I enjoy my, my property looking nice. I, I enjoy mm-hmm being able to have tools to make my life easier. So I didn't just, you know, waste the money and it still was allocated appropriately. But, you know, it was one of those situations where you're like, okay, well, here's a revenue stream um, and I can use it to benefit, you know, the other facets of my life. So I do like to, um, you know, I, I try to always think of it as, you know, it was a means to an end. Like, you know, Jared, you didn't just sell it to do something frivolous. Like at least you reinvested. Um, and, uh, but it, that doesn't help. It's still, it doesn't, it, does, it still hurts, man. Though that tractor and those landscaping rocks, they look beautiful. It helps your life, but they're never going to put that smile on your wife and daughter's face. You no. know? That's, that's when it's something special. I'll tell you my wife, um, she tolerates my addiction to cars. Uh, but yeah. when I finish a project, And there's nothing more satisfying when I finish a project and she looks at it and she's like, wow, that's really amazing. Because if she's saying that, like that means so much to me, you know, and that and that's rare. I'll tell you, it's rare. She's like, why'd you build half the time? It's like, why'd you build that? That's, you know, I get it. But, you know, what what are we going to do with that? Right. You know, what are you going to do with that? But when she looks at something and says, wow, that is really cool. Right. Uh, I love it. Can I take a ride in it? That, that, that tugs at my heartstrings. Oh, so, for sure, man. I mean, my wife is my, you know, my wife is my biggest, um, supporter and at times, you know, my, my biggest critic, but she's, you know, she does it in a way of, you know, she understands me and my shortcomings and has a, a way of, you know, getting me back on the path. And, um, and, you know, like she, I try to run everything by her for better or worse, right? It's your spouse. It's the one person that you confide in most, um, yep. You know, and, and, and they're, you know, 
you know, just as invested in, in your endeavors as, as you are. Um, maybe not always financially, uh, but more mentally and sometimes, you know, vice versa. So, you know, my wife is extremely supportive. And, and one of the things that probably breaks my heart the most is I remember I was renovating um, a house and my wife had jumped in that Suburban at our old house and driven it, you know, 40 minutes up the highway with my daughter in it. And like, I'm standing up top, you know, the hill at the house and like, here comes my wife, you know, just bombing up the driveway in this old suburban, you know, rolls a window down and just gives me this, Hey, what's up? You know? And I was just like, you know, very few people are just going to jump in something, throw a baby in it, you know, and just barrel down the road and, uh, just be, you know, cool as a cucumber. And, uh, man, I think about that one encounter a few times a day and, uh, you know, and and that's my biggest regret because it was something that my wife enjoyed just as much mm-hmm. as I did, and I didn't realize at the time how much that would become a void, uh, kind of in in our lives. Um, but again, shout out to my wife; she puts up with a lot of my shenanigans, and uh, I love her, and I'm very thankful. To and her. I will I will echo that. Uh, you know, we 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 have our shenanigans, uh, especially right. as car collectors or stores and. And, you know, our wives are the ones that always keep us in check. That's the most important thing. She always keeps me in check, man. And and I'm in the same boat as you. So before we talk about dry ice, uh, I just want to hit on one thing. What's next in the collection? What are you hunting for right now? So good question. Um, Man, you know, I, I'm, I don't think that I, I've had my eye on a, original owner, um, 72 K five, uh, original paint that, um, will be mine. Um, it's just the original owner, um, is aging in his son, you know, there's a, a very light deposit on it. So, um, it hopefully, you know, will stand. And when that day comes, um, not that, you know, I hope the, the original owner lives for a very, very long time, but, um, that one will be coming in and, and that one will probably stay around because it's original, very well optioned. It's just killer. It's a unicorn. Um, but outside of that, you know, I, I just, I, I just don't know. I'm such a, I'm such an outlier, man. I, 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 I can't promise you that it won't be a scout. I can't promise you that it won't be a golden Eagle or it might be another, you know, K10 suburban. Like I'm, I'm just a weirdo. Um, if I see something and I see it not for what it is, for what it, for what it can be, I'm, I'm buying it. And so, you know, I'm just not one of those people that, again, like, you know, I cross this chasm between different makes and models. And uh, I don't, I have no idea, but I know that when I do find it, it's going to be uh, a really fun adventure and hopefully it turns out badass. But uh, man, that's cool. I have Thank no idea. Um, those seventies K fives are are amazing and that'll be your next, uh, you know, I'm going to keep it forever. And you'll, I know you'll never get rid of that one. I mean, that, that, that is definitely, they're, they're super cool. Um, it's funny you say that like, you know, when you see it, you just pick it up. Every time I go looking for something, I end up buying something completely different. Right. You know, like I, I, I went to go look for my last one. I ended up going to look for, um, I'm obsessed. My next one, I want to be a pickup truck, whether it's a, a Comanche, a Jeep Comanche, right? An 80s Jeep Comanche uh, with that uh, that XJ body style um, or uh, an OBS, an F250, F350. Or a factory four-wheel drive F100. There you go, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what, that's what I want, right? But 
I, I end up getting it's insane. Like I ended up importing a a, a left hand drive Land Rover Defender one ten. Right. So how do you go from there? You know, but that's just the way it happens. Every time I'm looking for something, I find something else catches my eye and I end up picking it up. Um, Yeah. That's what I like about being eclectic. Right. I mean, who knows? Like, I I know some guys that only build K5s and they do extremely well or they only do Broncos. And it's like, I have no desire for that one thing to be my identity. None. I mean. You know, they may end up with 40,000 Instagram followers because they only do this one thing. And that's cool and all, but that ain't me, babe. Um, I'm the same way, man. Like, yeah, I I have the core is always going to be Jeeps just because I know them inside now, you know, and but um, I'm always going to find other stuff that just catches my eye and and build it the way that I like it and hope other people are interested in it, too, when I'm ready to pass it on down the line. But let's talk about the dry ice process. So your your company, Merritt Motors um, Co., is, you know, yes, you you have your cars and, and you but. Most importantly, one of the other areas which is super up and coming is the dry ice preservation process. And mm-hmm. there's a couple of things here. Not a lot of people are, are are aware that it's a process. You know, they're familiar with sandblasting and painting. Um, but the dry ice process, number one, uh, I'm very interested in in, in where the, kind of the history of it to how you ended up starting to to do it, um, built it into a business. But, you know, what are the, the benefits of it? You know, because everybody talks about the benefits, but nobody really understands the process, right? That actually the undertaking of the driest preservation process. So talk to me about it, man. Sure. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think that that's the biggest thing. Like no one understands the process of what dry ice is. And it, listen, I didn't either. And even when I did a demo of the technology, I don't even, I don't, I don't feel I was given an appropriate um, account of what the technology is, what it does, the ancillary systems being air supply, um, cooling, uh, air quality, so there's a lot that goes behind dry ice, but so quintessentially the the idea of dry ice blasting or the technology of dry ice blasting is like sandblasting, right? Um, the ice is the actual media that um, is causing the um, aggregation on the surface, right? Um, but with traditional uh, blasting methods, much like sandblasting, walnuts, whatever it may be, glass bead. Um, anyone that's ever done it knows it's extremely messy and like the people that do like that uh, dustless blasting and stuff like it still leaves stuff everywhere um, however dry ice does not do what those other mediums do right they they still serve their purpose and, and that's the biggest thing people think like uh, dry ice is a good substitution for sandblasting it's it's not um, now you can hook a sandblast hopper up to a dry ice machine and the ice particles actually bind um, to the sand and will allow it to fall down so that it's not, you know, just flying all over the place. But um, at that point in time, why not just sandblast something, right? Um, But so dry ice has been around in large manufacturing 25, 30 years. They uh, oftentimes are hooked to robots, um, big industrial places, um, cleaning like HVAC coils, cleaning food processing equipment, coffee roasters, anything that you can think commercial setting, um, those individuals know what dry ice is and they know what dry ice blasting technology uh, is required. 
to clean their applications uh, because it allows them to clean more effectively, reducing downtime. There's no secondary waste, meaning there's no water, there's no chemicals, there's no um, there's there's nothing to clean up other than the contamination that you sprayed off. Um, over the years, people in higher end markets uh, started looking for ways, such as myself, to how do I take a vehicle that's really nice? Like I have an 86 911. That car doesn't need to be blown apart and restored. Like it's a, it's a beautiful original car, but it's not clean, right? How do I make it? How do I, how do I, you know, take something to, to a level that Chris would be happy with making sure that it's that really well preserved and very well and thoroughly documented um, and cleaned vehicle without completely blowing everything apart because it's so invasive. And quite frankly, so many vehicles don't need that. Um, and so if you do blasting of any type, it's, it's going to be very abrasive. It's going to, you know, blast through paint. It's going to go through all of your rubbers, all of your seals. Um, it's just not going to allow you the level um, of clean that dry ice can give you. So I uh, eventually stumbled upon dry ice through um, some Porsche stuff and uh, bought the technology probably a little haphazardly um, and in, have invested <laughs> quite heavily since then. Um, you know, I bought the most expensive machine that I could, that, that it's on the market that would give me the most amount of control. Because again, it's very important to have control in anything that you're doing um, to be able to guarantee that you can replicate and produce results. So I bought this sweet machine and uh, had no idea how much air I was going to need or, or, you know, the type of equipment after that. So, um, you know, we've gone down a little bit of a rabbit hole. Um, but what it allows us to do is to remove contamination from a surface without actually harming the underlying surface. So earlier I had mentioned Tom Cotter in a 72 Pantera that's going to be a video um, that Haggerty produced. Tom had pulled this thing out of a barn, brought it over to us. The window channels, you know how they have felt in the window channels? Yeah. Dude, they were so packed with mud. Like it was, it, do you know what a mud dauber is? The, like the bee things that, you know, build these long tubular nests, basically. Gotcha. Um, it's just like this mud tube, really, um, is this nest that they built. It looked like that all the way through. Like if you could take mud and just pack it down in like Play-Doh into this... <laughs> window channel. Um, and this, this Pantera had 30,000 original miles on it, but it was just stored in, in a dirt barn. And we took our dry ice technology and we blasted down in that channel and all of the felt is completely free. It looks like it's brand new felt and there's no mud. It didn't harm the paint at all. Like we went wow. right down the door channel. And felt and is, I mean, that, that's not a durable product no. or a durable this is a surface. Pantera. It's not it's like talking neglected. about a frame, a, a metal frame, a clean metal frame, or a, an underbody or something like that. You know, with their steel panels, I mean, felt wow, that's pretty right. cool. So we'll, we'll go down through um, any type of rubber, you know, and um, and it, again, you really have to be well versed in the technology because, like anything, it can be very abrasive, but mm -hmm. it can be very gentle, right? So that's where you know experience really. Um, you really, if you're considering dry ice out there if, and you're listening to this podcast, uh, no matter where you're at, uh, try to find a, a vendor that um, just has a little bit of exposure. Um, it's great to give the new guys, you know, some business and everything um, and just, you know, entrust that they're going to do a good job. But, um, you know, sometimes it's just 
you really have to make sure that the person has a little bit of time under their belt because it, it can yield some unsavory results if, if you're not paying attention or you don't have a lot of experience. So um, just keep that little tidbit. But, um, you know, the, the benefit to dry ice is we can go over electrical components. We can go over windows, you know, door seals. We can remove cosmoline from the bottom of these Porsches. So if you follow my Instagram, um, jfriends12, you'll see some of the bottom of these Porsches and, and Ferraris that we're cleaning that just look tired. You know, the outside of the car mm-hmm. is gorgeous, but you put the car on a lift and you're like, Ooh, seriously, yeah. you know, yeah. it's going on, bring a trailer. And how many vehicles do you see go on, bring a trailer that absolutely light it up, but they get the car up on the lift and it just looks, you know, we, we focus so much on the exterior and the presentation, but then the bottom side, we just, well, there's Neglected. not a good method. So, um, and that's where we come in. So, you know, a lot of right now we have six P cars here in the shop. Uh, we've dry as cleaned all of them. They're all headed to bring a trailer. Um, they're going to just, I hope just absolutely kill it. Um, so the benefits to dry ice cleaning is the, um, level in which you can clean any surface without hurting the surface. In my opinion, that's the biggest advantage. Um, you know, we can clean, um, overspray without, taking down to the, to the, the bare metal. That's Mm -hmm. insane, man. We can go over uh, coil packs. We had a gentleman from Atlanta. He drove a little Fiat spider up from Atlanta. A 124 spider. Yeah. Yeah. Actually that was, that was my dad. My dad drove a 124 spider when I was a kid, a little kid, man. It was the most unreliable car in the world. Uh, uh, But I, I, and you can still get them cheap these days. Nobody really ever wanted them then. They didn't want them now. But man, I got to tell you, I, that that's a, a car that holds a, a special place in my heart. Yeah, yeah, they're they're great cars, man. And I mean, you know, don't it, lie, they're not great cars. They, well, they look cool because they have the Pinafarina body, but they were such garbage. I mean, dude, I, I, again, I'll touch back. Like, I'm such a weird dude. Um, I'm I'm such a I get, I I don't know if the word anomaly is good or bad when categorizing a person, but like, believe it, man, that, uh, if I find a clean ass rambler, I'm buying a clean ass rambler. That's cool. Just a weird dude. So, um, like I can literally see the beauty, the beauty and the silver lining in anything. Um, if it's clean and it's original, it's a little time capsule. I will absolutely buy a gremlin today. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I probably am, um, you know, I, I think everything's great. I'm sorry I interrupted you because you, you just hit, you just tugged at a, tar, a heartstring. My dad had that car from like the late 70s, bought it brand new until uh, he got sick about 10 years ago. We ended up getting rid of it to make some room because uh, we had to make room. Uh, but man, uh, it, it, and it was navy blue with the tan interior, the tan vinyl interior and and that like white top. Uh, you, you, you touch on something because nobody ever talks about these things. You know, nobody right. ever talks about it. because And, and hey, we joke, right? We joke around now how these like, you know, late 70s, early 80s, you know, Fiat 124 Spiders have these Pinafrina bodies and they were horribly unreliable and they were garbage. Right. And, you know, they still don't do numbers now. But like, hey, 10 years from now, somebody might be like, 
Yeah, you know? Whoa, those things are worth a hundred grand. You know, like people thought Dinos were garbage. Remember? Right. Oh <laughs> yeah, I'll yeah. talk, you know, for a while people were like, oh, Dinos. Oh, I mean, Ew, I'd never have a Dino. Oh, that's, I, a, oh, that's, a, that's a poor man's Ferrari, right? The, the numbers no, Dinos are doing right. are like right. are insane, right? So, right. hey, everything go, comes around and goes around. But I'm sorry, I interrupted you. You were talking about the gentleman that came up with the, the Fiat uh, from Atlanta to get it um, uh, yeah, dry I mean, done. He, um, he rolled in. We, you know, cleaned out his car and he jumps back in the car at the end of the day um, and drives back to Atlanta at night. Like what other in the improvement was astounding. Yeah. Um, the, the cleanliness of this car. What other service allows you to do that where like it would take you a week minimum cleaning with. And I don't even know if it's possible to to achieve this level of clean. I, I don't feel it's possible to achieve the level of clean that we're able to obtain with our dry eyes um, in any other any other solution um, in the time frame that that we're able to to turn something around and then allow that person a trouble free commute three and a half hours back home would not a care in the world. That's amazing. I mean, the fact that you can go over textiles, you can go over rubber, you know, even even wire and it's not ripping off uh, and, and degrading and destroying it is is amazing. That That's super cool. Now, how long does the average car take or undercarriage or whatever you're trying to, to, to get done? So say you're doing a frame and, a, and a, an underbody and undercarriage. How long will that take on just your average size you know, vehicle? Yeah. So it, it's funny because. Chris, to be honest, I have no clue. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> it would, depends on how much it, junk is under there from yeah, years man. and years and years, right? Uh, so, like, it, it, I, I, it, that sounds crazy to say from somebody who does it every single day, right? Um, but the, that's the, the the truth of it. So, case in point, uh, we just had a nine thirty um, imported from Switzerland, and the owner was like, "This thing is clean, and it's you, you're never going to find a cleaner one." put it up on the lift and I was like, yeah. uh, I mean, and we've had, you know, 18, 20 hours in, into doing this Porsche. The motor was very clean. Mm-hmm. Everything else was just, everything else was black and the whole belly pan of it, this should be white and the suspension and everything like the car looks better than it probably did. I mean, it, it looks brand new. And in fact, it looks better than new because it's not covered in Cosmoline picking up dirt. Um, mm-hmm. so and that car's still not done because we're we're doing some additional treatments and stuff to it. Um, and then you know because to stay on task, our you know in the four wheel drive world, we did the '69 F100 um, that we're you know just finishing building that's that's up for sale now. And um, we had about 18 and a half hours in dry ice cleaning the chassis. Um, and you know we dry ice cleaned the transfer case. Um, I had the 360 completely rebuilt, but. Even after we pulled it, I still we dry iced everything because it was just covered in years of gunk Gunk. and grime. And man, like I don't, I don't want to get my hands dirty. Like I I know that sounds weird from a vehicle guy, but like, like if I have the tools to not have to make a mess of everything, I have a lot of time and money invested in my shop and my equipment. I don't want it covered in dirt and grime. So we dry as clean the entire 360, the intake, um, the alternator was the original alternator. You couldn't even, it looked like it was, it was covered in a quarter inch of grime. Yeah. It looks brand new. The stickers cool. are still on it. We dry as cleaned everything. Um, the firewall, um, we used it as a 
prep um, tool. So we painted, you know, the inner fenders and everything. And, and we used, you know, we just turned our particle size up to give us a little bit more abrasion and we blasted everything and, and painted it. And hands down, nobody will be able to tell that this vehicle was not taken off the frame and restored. It's a, it's, it looks like the frame was sandblasted, body worked and painted. It, it looks, it, it looks amazing. Um, it, the truck is, it looks amazing. Hey, I learned, we all learned something new today the, about the dry ice process. And, uh, I'll tell you the next time I'm, I'm ready to do the, the undercarriage of a vehicle, uh, or I need something removed, uh, some type of dirt grime or, or, uh, overspray, whatever it is, uh, from a gentle surface. Uh, that's, that's where I'm going to go. So, uh, Jared, I, I want to, uh, thank you for your time. Uh, we're getting to the end right here. Uh, I'm, we've had such a great conversation, talked about so much fun stuff, everything from you know the suburbans the f100s uh your collection what you do uh and the driest process so for everyone out there uh if you are in the in the greater charlotte area and uh you are interested in not only a 69 f100 <laughs> factory four-wheel drive right that's going to be passed on down the line right uh or uh are interested in the dry ice um, cleaning and, and preservation process please look up jack uh, and Mer- and Merritt Motor Companies and, and Jared, correct me if I'm wrong. You actually are mobile with the dry ice now, right? Yeah, man. So um, good point. So we are um, out of the people that do it. Uh, one of the very few that um, have I specifically designed our system and had a custom trailer built that allows me to render mobile service um, through the same air system, same air quality. So yeah, it's um, pretty. What's unique the service for- area? I mean, it all depends on all depends on the, the scale of the project. But um, we, you know, I mean, we can go literally anywhere. Um, so we, you know, if you have a vehicle and you have adequate space, right, um, an appropriate lift, um, um, give us a call. Hit us up. Hit up our website. Um, you know, you can find our number there. You can text us. You can email us. Uh, we do. We we render mobile services to a bunch of different shops specialty builders, um, Porsche, um, a few higher end places. Um, so again, yeah, always keep that as an option. You don't always have to come to us and, uh, go ahead and find another person that, uh, that has those two service offerings. You probably won't. So, um, look us up. We'd love to help. And most importantly, the one, the biggest thing that I learned from this podcast today is that you can drive a Fiat 124 Spider uh, without it breaking down from Atlanta to Charlotte and back. Right? <laughs> I think that's the first time in history. <laughs> so maybe bought a lottery ticket. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he, he's got to buy a lottery ticket after that run. So, Jared. Yeah, I'm super. Uh, we had great conversation today. It was such a pleasure talking to you. Uh, I hope our listeners enjoyed it. Uh, again, if you don't follow uh, Merritt Motors Company, uh, you you need to follow them on Instagram at jfriends12. Uh, also, subscribe to their YouTube channel. Um, Jared's got a lot of cool stuff coming up that he's going to publish on that YouTube channel. So uh, that's Merritt Motor Co. Uh, is their is their YouTube channel uh, and check out their website, which is Merritt motorsco.com so jared thank you so much uh for your time today greatly appreciated and and we had a lot of fun man man absolutely thanks so much look forward to uh the you know all the episodes of classic four by four podcast and uh can't wait to see what you do um it's going to be a great journey
All right. Thanks a lot, brother. Thanks.